back to the Canadian Wreck, everybody. This is Jamie Gray. This pod, we got a special one for you. We're featuring five talented, enthusiastic women from the 2014 Rugby World Cup, Cup squad, where Canada, Canada, Canada earned a silver. Uh, and on, on top of that, they were just recently inducted into the Rugby Canada Hall of Fame. So today, we're going to be welcoming Rugby Canada legends from that silver medal squad, Maria Sampson. Karen Pack and Tyson Bukaboom, they're all returning pod guests. And new to the pod is Jess Dovane and Julia, uh, Julianne Zussman. Before we started recording, um, I, I just, uh, we sat about five minutes, just they were bantering and I was just sitting back watching and listening to the exuberance in their voice and the joy of being able to chat with each other and the excitement that these ladies had um, just getting together and reminiscing about France and and all things rugby, uh, it was really, it was really amazing, and I'm glad I got to be a part of it. So this is an, a, a great one, and uh, you're going to want to stick around, and make sure that you hear everything they have to say. Before we get there, though, just a quick plug on us: uh, we're on the Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Canadian Ruck, and our email is CanadianRuck at gmail.com. Don't forget too to when you're watching and listening that you follow and subscribe. And that you also share these messages. So when you're done listening to this beautiful pod, make sure you share it so that other people can hear it as well. We're on the YouTube, iTunes, Google Podcasts, CastBox, and Spotify. And of course, our own website, which is the CanadianRuck.Weebly.com. We're, uh, we're going to stay clear of the rugby news this week uh, because we've got a, a really good show that I want to play out for you. And, uh, I mean, there's been some happenings for sure. MLR is going on this weekend. Super Rugby Trans Taz is happening. Um, European Champions, all that stuff is all done. But we, the focus this week is on the, this, this, these girls in, the, in the, that 2014 event. Before we get there, though, just rugby, a game of 15s, it's... It's never an individual. Of course, you, you can reminisce back and you think of Megalie Harvey was on the pod and we showed that beautiful try she scored against France. And it was an amazing, and I'm using quotes here, solo effort because she ran about 90 yards down the pitch by herself and evaded a few people. But it wasn't just her. There was a knock-on, which Maria talks about. There was the, the scrum where all eight women decided, you know what, we knocked it on, but we're getting this ball back. There's a great ball played out by the scrum half, out to the fly half, and and so on. And that effort makes rugby that truest of true team sports there are. I love hockey, right? I'm a huge Leafs fan, and I'd love to see them win the Cup sometime in my lifetime. Uh, my dad's fortunate enough, he saw them raise uh, six or seven. Uh, I'd love to see one be raised with my dad. That would be really cool. I, I love the NFL. I love the Packers. I'm a big Green Bay fan. Baseball, I'm a big Blue Jays fan. Used to love MJ and the Bulls and all thing they did. But there's no team effort in sport like there is in rugby. Solo efforts happen all the time in sports. Connor McDavid, coast-to-coast -coast goal, an MJ dunk, an Aaron Judge dinger, a messy strike, whatever. Even a Brady Pasto Gronk is about the individual. But rugby stays true to the team. Magalie Harvey doesn't score that try without 14 other players on the pitch doing their job, making sure she can get the ball and get up the field. As I said, we're not covering any news this week. We're jumping straight into the pod. It's a very special edition. So sit back now because uh, it's coming up. But before you get there, you might need a hot cup of coffee and look no further than East Coast Roast Coffee. It's an independent micro coffee roaster in St. John, New Brunswick. 
What microbreweries are to beer, East Coast Roast is to coffee. And I love a good microbrewery beer and I love a good East Coast Roast coffee. They source from independent farmers and co-ops all over the world and they roast in small batches to bring something interesting to the local coffee scene. If you're into really fresh coffee, you can head over to their site at eastcoastroast.ca or pick up beans from Jeremiah's, Paris Crew, The Art Warehouse, or Woodchuck's while you're in St. John. Karen, send me your mailing address so I can ship your winning beans for you. I hope I don't give anything away there, but uh, yes, if you send me your mailing address, I will get your free coffee sent out to you. And now, Karen, Maria, Tyson, Julianne, and Jess from Team Canada's 2014 Silver Medal Winning Rugby World Cup Squad. So welcome back to the Canadian Rock. We've got uh, we've got five tremendous women female rugby players on our pod. Going to reminisce a little bit about the 2014 Rugby World Cup and uh, talk a little bit about rugby philosophy. So welcome, ladies. We're going to start just do a little intro. Let's start with Karen. All right. So uh, I started playing in high school. I'm from Quebec City. Uh, I played at the high school Les Sentiers, and then I played in University at Laval, and during the 2014 World Cup, I was a flanker. Awesome. All right. How about you, Julianne? Yeah, so I was born and raised in Ottawa, started playing my rugby at Ashbury College, following in my brother's footsteps, and then went on to um, play at McGill University, and I played um, all my provincial rugby for Quebec. Um, although in the later part of my career, I was playing out West in Victoria, where I'm now based. And um, my position at the World Cup was fullback. Fullback, okay. Tyson, what about you? I am originally from just outside of Toronto. I went to Uxbridge Secondary School. Um, and then I went to university at St. Francis Xavier out in Anaganish, or just outside of Halifax. Uh, 2014 World Cup, I was a mostly second row, a little bit of back row sub. Um, I like to say that I played a little bit of end guard, though, end of bench, guard of water. Um, <laughs> okay. we, yeah. I, I played that position, too. Yeah, it's a good position. We all important. have. <laughs> I think we all have. A lot less stressful. All right, Jessica, what about you? Um, I started playing rugby when I was... 14 or 15 years old after my super medium gymnastics career. Um, I remember falling in love with it, realizing that's what I was supposed to be doing and I had no business on a balance beam. And then I moved over to UVic where I played for a little while and did the sevens program eventually. And I played wing at the World Cup. Okay. And last but not least, Maria. Hi, awesome. Thank you. Um, so I grew up in Pine Hill, Quebec, about an hour outside of Ottawa and Montreal, just in the middle there. Uh, a little town that doesn't even exist anymore. It got amalgamated into a bigger county. But I started playing in high school, um, Laurentian Regional High School, but it was totally like my third sport. It was like football was my first love, then basketball, um, and then rugby and played a couple years at McGill, one year with uh, Julianne. Um, but really I'm a, a product of the, the club game. Um, so got a shout out uh, St. Anne's and uh, the Calgary Saints and Calgary Hornets for my development. Cause that was probably where I did most of it versus uh, at, at any school. Awesome. All right, oh, so and I played lock, lock. <laughs> for Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Oops, so, forgot that one. It's <laughs> important. Lots of great background stories there. Everybody had their own, their own pathway to get to Canada. It's awesome. But you're all you're all on Team Canada. It's 2014, and you start that tourney off. You've got two massive wins. You hammered Spain 31-5, and you hammered Samoa 42-7. 
how huge was it? How, was it? how important was it for your team to get those two big wins early in the tournament? Let's, let's start with, we'll go with Karen. What are your thoughts there? I don't remember much from these games. It was, it's anyone else? Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> I remember this, I think the Spain game is like the Magnus show. <laughs> and um, the Samoa game, all I remember is it was more like physical, but I think I was still like trying to hit my stride. Yeah. I, it, it's all a blur. Those games are a blur. I think that's fair. That's probably a fair assessment from a lot of athletes. Does anybody have anything that can add to that uh, lovely statement? <laughs> I mean, the pressure. Go ahead, Jadina. I was just gonna say the pressure is on at these World Cups. Like the format is changing next year, but um, up until now, it's it's been um, we've gone straight from pool play into semifinals. So if you don't finish top of your pool or top of second place, um, then you're not going through. So like so obviously winning those two games is huge because that actually put us into a position where we could make the top four. Um, and that's the case at, at, at every World Cup. And fortunately, like I mentioned, it, it is changing in, the, in the, the upcoming 2021 World Cup that's being played in 2022. So what is, what is the change that's happening? Do you know off the top of your head? Yeah, so they're going to bring in quarterfinals, which okay. means that, yeah, every, every team just gets an extra opportunity to qualify for that top four spot. Um, but in 2014, we had to win and we had to win with a bonus point. And so, uh, like game plan was pretty clear going into it. Another big change for that is we have, I think, minimum five days between games, which will be huge. Yeah. That, that'll make a big difference. Yeah. Just, but just 2014 we had, it was like game rest practice, captain's run play. Like I lost like literally like 10 kilos over like. 22 days or whatever it was it was just wild so you're playing like every three or four days we we were in 2014 yeah it was three days in between i remember i vividly remember before the final it was like they were like managing bodies for that last contact day um and and like karen said like that samoa game was a very physical game and i think spain were probably still getting our, our the jitters out but like Samoa, I, like I remember vividly getting stomped right in the stomach. Somebody got a yellow card for it. Um, and like, that's my biggest memory from that Samoa game. Um, but I just remember it was hot. It was so humid. Um, and the pressure was on, like Julianne said, we had to score enough points to get a bonus win, to make sure they, to get a bonus point, to make sure the opposition didn't get a bonus point um, to make that England game so crucial. So, and that takes you to the England game, which was a, you know, precursor to the final, the 13-13 draw. How, Jessica, in your words, like, how good was it for your team to walk out of that match with a draw? How, was that good for your confidence? Were you shaking a little bit because you, because it was a tie? What, what, what do you remember about that? I remember the final whistle in that game. And Julianne, if you can remember, we were hugging so tight and we both come off. And I remember almost passing out. It was so hot and we were so tired. Um, and I, I think the shift was like, we had the confidence and I, I think we had our expectations. Our coaches had our expectations or had their, pardon me, but we didn't have the expectations of our fans and country back home until after that England game. And I think while we always saw the possibility, our fans and families started to see the possibility of us winning that world cup. And that's when things just started to get so real. And it was such a different, exciting pressure. So that's what really shifted for me. And I think a lot of the team. That's great. What else, like, you know, England, 
obviously without giving anything away and everybody knows now England went on to win when you when you finish that game against England you know you, you finished with two wins and a draw you know you were set up for for a match against France what were your thoughts after the round robin play was done well if had we have won against England if my memory serves right we would have went up against New Zealand um which also would have been a very tough game um and it I think it put us in a better situation because playing France um our style of game was I mean at that time more favorable than their style of game and just being in a um a crowd where they were all cheering for France I think gave us the fire that we needed I mean except for like you know our Canadian section and our families that had traveled out um so yeah it was huge and it just made everything everything just kept getting more possible as we progressed through the tournament Excellent. Karen, it looked like you were going to jump in there too. Did you have something yeah, to say? Yeah, just the way that that draw just shuffled the cards because we didn't win it booted New Zealand out of the top four. So that was kind of special in it in itself. Like obviously what Ireland did at that point had had done the, the biggest blow, but I think it just made it like possible for, for us. It gave us like a huge boost of confidence and we knew we could beat France. We knew we had the team to do it and we knew we had the scrum to do it and so I think it just yeah from from there we felt really strong naturally that makes sense yeah that's great so get that draw you move on you're now walking into the stadium in France against France semi-finals how are you keeping your emotions in check like what were you doing to stay steady and, and you know focus on the process and your game plan and everything else without letting that excitement of, you know, a massive crowd in their home country kind of, I guess, eat away at the mental side of things. I can hardly keep my emotions in check right now. <laughs> it's just you talking about it and getting goose pimply. All right. Let's, let's, let's try Julianne then. Um, I mean, at that point, our, our team was so tight as a unit um, that we were just able to feed into each other and each other's energy. I don't know if it was before, was it before the semi or the final that Jess, you, uh, you <laughs> landed yourself a spot on TSN's top 10 um, for greatest slaps of all time, which Jess can tell the story. Um, but, but all that to say that we just really got each other. And so we just really leaned on each other. And um, I just remember like walking into that stadium, you know, 20,000 people cheering for the opposition. Um, that energy just, us like it didn't feel like it was against us it felt like it was just layered upon the energy that we already felt um within our team and from the small you know contingency that had traveled out to, uh to to watch us play um so yeah we just relied on the connections that we had with each other and um and anything felt possible so it was it was more excitement than nerves at that point what about you tyson what do you what do you think in there you look like you're a deep thought right now I mean, for me personally, I was very nervous. I was very young. Um, I pretty much knew that unless something dram super dramatic happened, I wasn't getting on the field. Like we, I'd had that conversation with coaches beforehand. And yeah, it was, I remember in the England game um, with about eight minutes left, we were tied and Gary's like, books warm up. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> he was like, you need to go warm up. And I was like, I can't, I can't, you can't put me on the field. You cannot put me on the field right now. What are you thinking? <laughs> Like, I'm going to go there and I'm going to mess up. This is, no, don't do it. And he's like, can you just relax and go warm up? I was like, okay. That was the most nervous I've ever been for a rugby game in my entire life. Um, That's fair. And 
for myself, I was very, very nervous, but like Zess said, um, the energy within the team was more excitement. Uh, like I didn't sense any nervousness within our group. Everyone was very excited because we just like from game to game built and built and built and our confidence built with it. And ultimately we had nothing to lose. Nobody believed in us. No one thought we were going to do well. And we were just going out there like, screw you. We're going to do this and we're going to hopefully win. Were the coaches staying out of your way at that point? Cause they knew that you knew what you had to do or were they still going over game plans, still going over tips with you guys? Or was it just like, all right, the girls have this, let's, let's let them do their thing. I think our coaches stayed out of our way a lot through the, through the tournament. Um, and that's credit to them for building the base from April, 2013, when Oswa first joined the squad as our head coach. Um, I think we are a very player driven culture and playing style um, because the coaches gave us that liberty. So I, I, I don't recall a, a time, uh, I don't know how the, the rest of the ladies feel on the call, but I don't really recall a time ever feeling like I was being overcoached or coached too much. Um, so I think they, and that's probably why we relied so much on each other as a team is, is because of that. You, you had to um, um, go to each other for direction, for leadership, for mentorship. Um, which was incredible. And I think I certainly wasn't very nervous for the France game. I joke about being emotional now um, after the fact, but I remember, I remember, I remember walking to the stadium and looking for my family and I don't recall looking at the, the stands again. And it was actually the first anthem um, that I didn't ball my eyes out because I was so, I would say like focused and charged um, where sometimes the anthem will get the emotional side of me. Um, but that was like the one and only time of all my caps that I didn't, cry because I was just like we got a job to do let's go I think there's really something to be said for like when an athlete gets trust and Francois and Colette and Gary were so open about trusting us and asking us what we thought like I remember speaking about a play to Francois and saying like well what do you think and I was like who cares what I think that like, you tell me what to do and it was just it was so liberating to um have the question reversed and just to go in with that trust and when you get that trust from your coach, you in turn can give it to yourself and then you in turn can give it to other players. So I think we were just in a really positive space, which felt liberating. I wasn't there, but as a coach, I imagine that wasn't just something they handed over. But by the way, Maria was talking about when Francois came in in April, there was a lot of buildup by all the girls on the team that showed Francois and the rest of the coaching staff that we can do this. And he was just kind of in the backgrounds, making sure, you know, shepherding you along the way. And then knew when to say, okay, the, the reins are yours. Let's do this. I, I think it, I think it probably definitely went both ways. Karen, talk to us about the relation of winning that semifinal match against France. Like how, where, where were you on the field when the whistle sounded? Do you remember where you were? I was right beside that rock where Berkey kind of plowed through. And... <laughs> I literally jumped up and down with both arms in the air and I was just like so happy. And it was at that point, like we had a yellow card. It was not easy from the get-go. I remember that the first minutes of that game being like a real um, reality check that like it was going to be a fight for every ball into every ruck. And like, really, I, I remember telling myself like, we're gonna have to work hard in this so like we obviously we we got our, our energy up during the game and then at the end they kind of figured out like that they could maul through us and like we had to like really 
get each other and and just to fight back for those those last minutes but it was so so tight so intense and that that moment just waiting for the final whistle like between the time that the ball is kicked out to the time that the whistle is blown it's like your heart's not even beating and then it happens and it was it was incredible and it was so like yeah like also like through the injury that happened in the game we were really like emotional like the emotional charge of that game is the biggest i've ever felt how about you julianne that's great that was great karen that was really nice yeah that really took me down memory lane because it's funny i think our memory kind of plays tricks on us and i think back to that game and i think oh we were awesome we were obviously going to win that game and then i rewatched it recently with my partner and uh and because she'd never seen it and I was like, oh my God, we almost lost. <laughs> like we were under the pump till the final minute. And it's funny how how we forget that so easily. But man, like that there were no guarantees in that game. And as you said, Karen, like we had to fight for every inch. I mean, our scrum half went down like right before halftime and, and um Ellie moved from fullback to, to scrum half and I came onto the field at, at fullback at that time. Um but Ellie had never played scrum half for our team. Um, you know, she played some club games at Scrum Half and she just stepped up to the occasion. Um, and, and I mean, like, yeah, so many things happened that game. Our, our, our scrum turned the ball over on the five meter line. The ball pops out and Ellie just says, oh, I guess I'm going to pass it. And we ran the ball literally from try line to try line. Like these types of things were just so um, unpredictable. And I mean, I could have predicted that we would have stolen that scrum because I know our scrum. Um, <laughs> but you know, for the for the most part, it it was it was the kind of game um, where there were no guarantees. And so, um, yeah, it was it, it just it's it's awesome to be to be reliving it now and to remember what that energy was like. And I definitely remember that pause um, when we were waiting for the final whistle, and then just like the explosion of emotion um, and the big giant group hug that have to, happened afterwards. Awesome. Uh, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm replaying the, the game in my mind, listening to you two talk and explain it. And I'm thinking, I, I remember that. I remember, I remember that rock. I remember this. I remember that try and it's awesome, but obviously I wasn't there. Um, Tyson, what about you? What, like, what are your thoughts? You got, you, you win it, you win that semis, you know, you're going to the finals. What are you thinking at that moment? I was just thinking, oh man, they can't put me on the field. <laughs> like pretty much the entire tournament, I was like, they cannot put me on the field. Um, I mean, that game was crazy. I think I spent more energy fangirling on the sideline than I would have if I actually got on the field. I got on camera many times and I kept getting in trouble for being on camera because we were in the end zone and I just kept jumping back and forth across the camera and the guy's yelling at me. I'm like, I don't, you're, I don't speak French. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was crazy. It was such a surreal experience, especially for someone who was so young and hadn't experienced anything like that. It was just, I couldn't for like three weeks straight, I was just like, I, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe our team is doing this. This is wild. Please don't put me on the field. This is so exciting. Love, I, 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 you and I chatted for like an hour and a half the last time we talked and it, you're just, you're so humble about it. I'm sure if you had to get put on the field, these four women and everybody else would have been 100% confident in your abilities to, you know, to be there with them, right? So hope it's, so. I think so. I think so. Jessica, what about you? Where, where were you? Like, what, what were your thoughts when that final whistle finally sounded? 
I actually also didn't play in the France game. So I, I was dressed and I like kept being like, I want to go on. I want to go on. And then something would happen and I'd be like, Oh God, I don't want to go on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like, um, similar to Tyson, like I had that like anxiety the entire time. Like it had felt like I had played the 80 minutes, just like going through the emotions with my team and yeah it was just like this is happening like the whistle went and I couldn't run out fast enough I think that might have been my fastest 40 meter sprint in my career <laughs> just like straight to the huddle and yeah I was just so I was so excited for us I was so excited for what I knew it was doing for women's rugby and yeah it was a really magical time that's a great point because you know prior to that event women's rugby in Canada was was doing well but since then women's rugby in Canada has really been elevated you know team the 15s the sevens are both ranked three in the world there's more girls signing up all the time uh the school that I coach at they had their biggest numbers of players this year in the last 10 or 15 years uh and it's amazing to see and a lot of that's attributed to what happened in 2014 um Maria let's uh, I don't want to forget about you where were you in that final whistle sound like what were what was going through your mind like you're the emotional one here how did you, did you keep it together? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, so I was, uh, so I started the game, but I came off in the second half. So I was coming from the, the bench as well. Uh, but yeah, similar to Jess, the, the fastest 40 I've ever ran to join the team. I remember um, I saw Burke first. Burke was on the ground with, uh, on her knees and I gave her a big hug. Um, and then just like pure, pure elation of the feeling being with the team and then that was that was a time when looking back into the crowd and realizing kind of what we had done and and even seeing people who had um, flown over to see us in that game, um, you know, iconic picture of you, Julianne, looking up. I think it was at Ulmer and uh, and and those ladies. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the the two finger point, which is so so such an iconic picture now. Um, but I just like that game is like by far all time favorite for me and. And, I, I, you know, every time we think of that Megalese try, um, I like it was my knock on that caused that scrum. And like, that's immediately what my mind goes to, because um, I think we're all so critical. But then, you know, kind of get taken out of the hole with, um, you know, Kim Donaldson and, and Hillary and MP being the front row um, for that for that scrum. And they just looked at me and they're like, we got this. And then Megalee scores and Andrea Burke, she's running back, kisses me on the cheek. She's like, we got this. You're fine. And it was just like this massive rally, right? Like everybody, everybody kind of knew it was a you know big mistake, but it turned into one of the most awesome things ever. And that, that win 1917, it's too good. Such a great memory. Yeah. As you're all talking about it, I'm a, forgive me if I date myself or this is out of cheek, but I, I'm a huge Rocky fan. And I, when you're talking, I'm picturing Rocky four when he goes to Russia and he, he wins the crowd over and all of a sudden the crowd starts cheering for him. And, you know, you kind of get that sense that the France crowd was, you know, they were cheering for France, but when you guys won, they were probably still cheering you on. They, they totally were. When we went back up into the stands and said hi to our families, like a whole bunch of um, French fans were shaking our hand. Congratulations. Like it was such a respect. It was such a respectful win. Like just the grind of it. Um, yeah, I think it just brought out, it brought out the best characteristics of rugby, both on the field and off the field to have that fan support and that respect. Beautiful. That's so, funny. Cause I got booed the hardest in my ever, in my life ever. <laughs> when I, 
led the charge on the kicker and I went too quick and I got booed by like 20,000 people. (laughs) (laughs) Selective memory. It's funny what we remember. (laughs) So we we don't have to get into the finals. Um, When I've talked to a few of you in the past, uh, some of you still say it's hard to talk about, but you know, you, you go into that England game, you know, you come out with a silver medal what were your thoughts after that final whistle blew? Were you disappointed? Were you excited that you were there? What was that feeling like, I guess, coming out of 80 against England and, and coming out with a silver instead of gold? How did, how did you feel at that moment? I think we all went through like the stages of grief. Like, you know, the whistle blows and you're like, you're just in denial. Like, no, there's still more time left. This isn't really happening. Like, I remember um, I had come off and I looked at the clock and I remember like doing math but delusional because I was so tired thinking, okay, if we score this and then we do this and just like making sure like it could still happen. And then just really believing that until the final whistle. So it was just this huge drain of emotion. And for me, it wasn't until I was standing with everyone in the circle that I felt okay about the loss, like, and still could like notice the growth and, and the triumph that was for Canadian rugby um, because yeah, losing hurts. And when you're that close to a gold medal, it's it's sad and it's hard. And you think of all the things that should have, would have, could have happened during the game. Um, so yeah, it takes a minute to feel excited or like grateful for what like you accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. That's real nice, Jessica. Took a Anybody- long time to realize what a silver, how important that silver was. Mm. Um, like I, so I was so sad after I just, um, like I couldn't, I couldn't party at the end of the world cup. It was just tears. And my family went to, um, Spain after we all went to Spain and we were like in this middle of nowhere town, like four, four days after the world cup, it's called Bubion. It's literally like the smallest town of like 200 people and groceries get put in. Anyway, there's this like random English fan that comes to our table and the friend that we have there is like, oh, like rugby, women's rugby, like Canada and like kind of points me out and he makes like the worst comment about, you know, how English rugby and how the women, you know, English rugby women smash Canada, all this stuff. And I just remember like putting my head down and just bawling at this like middle of nowhere bar. I was like too soon because it was just so emotional. And it probably took me personally like months to get over the experience because I think like the team was amazing, but we, there's obviously negatives here and there that happen. Um, and I think that's one of the challenges, challenges and most also most beautiful things about team sport is working through that negativity as a group. And I just think it took a while for me for that, for the positives of what we had done to get over kind of the, the, the negatives of some of the experience. So, I mean, it was hard, but looking back on it now and realize what, what we've done for the sport, what we did do for the sport, um, um, it's incredible, but in that moment, I hate losing. I hate losing more than I like winning, and and so that was hard for me. <laughs> Imagine that man had said that to Karen. <laughs> well, Mozak, my husband, chased after him. Oh, yeah. and was like, how dare you? Yeah. yeah. I think soon. for me, it felt like unfinished business. Yeah. Like, I never, I guess I never really embraced the emotions of the aftermath, because I didn't like I never got closure from from that until like 2017 and I think that was one of the one of my mistakes of like looking ahead is like I needed to actually accept that this this was 
finished to, in order to start something else afterwards. But I, I, I don't think I'm over it. Maybe I need to like visit that with the therapist or something. <laughs> well, I am starting my master's in sports psychology. So give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, 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 has, it has been seven years, uh, you know, in 20, uh, the 2017 World Cup, you didn't finish as high. And, and now you've got another, well, I don't know, 16 months, I guess now until the, till the 2022 World Cup. Seven years back, like, you know, Maria talked about a little bit, Karen, you talked about a little bit. Do you cherish that silver medal a little bit more now than you thought you would have seven years ago when it happened? It, it hurts a little less. <laughs> cherish, yeah, for sure. I think we were just in the limelight. We were in the limelight, I think, for a while. And now it's, it's not as often that I bring it out of its case and show it off i was um, going to ask if anybody had what had it handy I, I i honestly thought that you'd all have them around your necks right now <laughs> that was not in the demo so crass. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was in the agenda didn't you read that one jessica yeah that must have been at the bottom the um, agenda I, you agreed to <laughs> <laughs> i actually probably could find mine the fastest i think it is in my bedside drawer um but i was gonna say i don't cherish the finish in the way that i thought I would I, I, I do cherish the experience and the memory and I say that seven years later after, like I think I between the five of us I hung up my boots first and I have two kids now and like I look back and like it's just such a it's an accomplishment but it's also like the the growth and the development and like the relationships that I made and I, I don't think about that piece of beautiful jewelry as much as I thought I would it's I know a bunch of you want to jump in, but it's it's a beautiful statement that you just say because that's that's how I teach and coach at my school, and when I coach provincially, it's it's about the camaraderie. It's it was for me, it was, and it still is, and it's not about the wins or losses. It's about how far can I take this team, how far can they grow, how much can they grow, and how many of them are going to fall in love with rugby to want to continue playing after they finish high school. So we we actually have a hall of fame or a wall of fame. So any kid that graduated from rugby at my school that has gone on to play university, uh, I get them to send me a little player bio and they get, they get put up on the wall at my school and, and we go from there because it is, it's all about growth and investment and camaraderie. And when you look back, Jessica, for sure, you're saying it and everybody else is going to say, you're remembering the memories and the moments, not, not the outcome. When I, you know, when I said score, Karen's like, was that really the score of the, 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 the Samoa game? Like, I don't remember that, but I remember, I remember how physical it was and I remember so-and-so being there with me on the pitch. And I think that's the beauty of rugby and the beauty of sports. So maybe, maybe we'll, maybe we'll cut that question. And unless anybody else wants to answer, like, does there, does anybody cherish that silver a little bit more? Tyson, go ahead. Um, I just wanted to, I obviously have a different experience. I'm still on the team um, mm -hmm. and still getting to play. And the uh, just the, Kind of camaraderie that our team has now has kind of paralleled the team that we had in 2014 so a lot of what we do kind of goes back to that and that is the like that's what we're striving for and that's what we're looking to and the memories of that moment still come up and from players who were how long ago was that they were super young like Sophie de Goody was a preteen probably at that point and like the younger girls talking about that moment being like oh my god we saw that we want to be that and now them and us getting the opportunity to hopefully relive that and this time build to a gold medal would be the ideal and a very realistic outcome for our world cup coming up 
Um, so I'm kind of still in that moment in a way, getting to relive those memories through other people's eyes who weren't there on the team, but are now on the team and wanting to be what we were then. That's so cool, Tyson. That's such a cool perspective. Yeah. All right. So great thoughts around the Rugby World Cup. Let's look at your, your recent induction into the, into the Hall of Fame at Rugby Canada. Uh, personally, in my mind, seven years, seven years has been too long of a wait for that to happen. Um, what does it mean to each of you to be inducted in the Hall of Fame as a team, as a collective, as the way it you know, almost should be for rugby? Julianne, can we start with you? Yeah, I think, like you just said, I think it, the um, honoring that group um, as a team for me has just sort of, I don't know, it's, it's a nice sort of um, period at the end of that sort of era um, or exclamation mark rather. Um, and I think that when I look at that group of, of players, like I think 95% of those, those players are still involved in the game, either as players, coaches, referees, administrators, governance, like whatever they're doing to be involved in the sport, I think there was something really special about that group. Um, and, and so to sort of to, to join the Hall of Fame as a group has given us an opportunity to come back together, to reconnect for like, you know, through little things like this um, and just relive some of those memories and relive just the energy of that group and, and what it was like to, to be together. Um, because I, yeah, I really think that um, there, was, there was something really special in that team culture. And and a lot of it was because the coaches gave us a lot of um, a, a long leash. They gave us a lot of trust. Um, and um, it's, it's really neat to hear, you know, Tyson's story about how, how other teams are looking at as an example. Because personally, like when, I, when I'm involved in rugby, I look to that team um, as something that I want to recreate. That's great. That's, I love that sentiment for sure. Uh, Maria, how about you? I think like to add on what to, to what Julianne said is around the grind, like up until 2014, I think 2015 would have been the first year where there wasn't pay to play. So we all had to pay to play to get to the 2014 World Cup. We probably all had to deal with sexism in our sport. You know, like we've come a long way in the last seven years, but prior to that, we all had to pay to play provincial rugby to even get a shot to play on the national team. It was a different world back then. And I just think recognizing the grind and how I think under-resourced we were going into the 2014 World Cup. Um, we were very fortunate in many ways, but I think what opportunities and what uh, perhaps some of our teams have now is so different than what we had in 2014. So I just think it just it just recognizes that from just a... a an incredible uh, perspective. It's not just about the silver medal, but I think that journey to get there, no one will ever have to go through what we did in certain aspects. And that, and that is a, a culmination of probably, you know, from when the first, first test was played um, for our women's team as well. What about you, Jessica? I, I, again, I all um, go off of Julianne. Like it is, it is such an honor to receive something as a group. Cause we definitely had some stars in that um, 2014 World Cup and to be recognized as a team just felt so good. And, and it really was right down to the, um, the um, traveling reserves. Like everyone was just so on board and so supportive and just we're all in. And so it, it feels really good to be recognized as a group. 
That's awesome. Tyson, you're still playing. How, how, what does it mean to you to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, yet you're still, you know, you still wear your boots? That's super cool. Um, there's, I think, I think it's just me and Liv. Oh, Laura as well. So there's three. Karen. Also oh, plays, Karen plays, Karen plays. Karen plays. Karen plays. <laughs> Karen's going too. to the Olympics. <laughs> okay, there's four of us. There's four of us uh, still in the program and a bunch of really, really young girls. And we get to be the cool ones that are in the world or the Canadian Hall of Fame. Um, it's just surreal. I feel honored to be, have been able to be a part of that group. Um, and sometimes I feel like I'm just kind of piggybacking on it. Um, but then I remind myself, I did the work too. I worked my butt off. Maybe I wasn't on the field much, but the, as a group, it, it was just an, such an incredible group. And it's so nice that the uh, rest of Canada sees that as well. What about you, Karen? So you're, you've kind of switched, I think, to sevens now, right? Ready for the Olympics. But what does it mean to you? I mean, I've been going uh, the two programs, but for me, like recognizing that group and that journey is so important because it is probably like the, the most important event that I've been a part of, or like I've been chasing those uh, emotions and, and, and chasing like the capacity to make those memories again since then. So it's like to recognize as a, as a rugby union and as a country that, that this was actually really great is um it's an honor it's awesome and it just i don't know it legitimizes the efforts that were put into that i mean that year was like for me and for a lot of girls it was a marathon of rugby and we played like between sevens and fifteens and training and and everybody every person in the team put their like their best effort to be professional without the support like i remember hillary coming to train and, and being full-time on the field with with Steve and, and with, with the severance program, we had more resources and I was doing both and, and everybody in their little pockets, like traveling abroad and, and training at home and, and doing like two, three trainings a day on your own while having a job. It, it was something that you can only do for one year, but everybody really committed. So I think it's, it's awesome to, to be recognized as a group and yeah, been chasing that again. That's great. It's uh, it's like I said, it's a long time coming. I'm excited for all of you for, for when it when it comes to fruition, and uh, I, I think all of your teammates will be are probably just as proud as as the five of you are as well. Uh, let's let's shift a little bit. So we talked a little bit before we started recording about this women's fifteen event, which is happening annually, uh, aside from World Cup years, I believe, where I think it's the top. Uh, they're grouping you in, in by nations of four, and you're going to a, to one one site. And you're playing, I think, three games, kind of just to get some high, uh, high caliber test rugby in. Um, one, how great is this for women's rugby? And two, how valuable will this be for Canadian rugby? And three, do you think that would have made a difference if this was happening in prior to 2014 for your team? Some loaded questions there. Uh, I, I can I can kind of tackle the first one about how great it is. Um, it, it, it certainly is great. Um, it's great that World Rugby is um, putting together a plan for women's 15s. And, and having said that, there's still a long way to go. Um, there's, I think, 16 teams in the women's, um, I don't know if it's XV or women's 15, what they're, what, how they're saying it. But, uh, you know, with those three different tiers, 
it's kind of like 200, 200,000 quid per team if you were to divide it that way. And to be competitive in that type of caliber of competition year after year after year plus World Cup, um, there's going to be significant investment um, that's going to be required from each union, you know, a million bucks plus. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm grateful that World Rugby is putting money towards it. Um, I think we need more um, to, to really be competitive, um, to start being able to m market women's rugby the way it should be marketed. So, so it's a great start, um, but, but I want more. I'm not going to settle for just, uh, uh, you know, a certain amount of money that's going to help with the tournament proper. There needs to be a significant investment from World Rugby year-round with, the, with the, the funds that they give the men's 15s programs. That's fair. That's a fair statement for sure. Anybody else want to jump in on that? I'll second the motion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How, how finance aside, I, I write you a blank check. Everything's taken care of. How valuable is this going to be for Canadian women in the rugby program? I think it's going to be valuable, but there's so much work to do in Canada in order to get our league, especially with, uh, the aftermath of COVID, I think there's so much to do in order to set us up for um, success, but in the longevity of it, um, that again, like Maria said, it, it, it's not enough. It's great to showcase the game. It's great to grow the game, but we can't really rest on that, um, that kind of competition, that kind of event in order to think that it's going to be enough to, um, to improve Canadian Canadian rugby. Okay. What, what it's else? an excellent caliber test. So mm -hmm. when you play against a higher team, uh, you know, I think what back to 2013 when we went and played um, France and England um, and it was a big, like, Whoa, like we're not up to par. So we got to get our gear together, you know, which is why we did so well in 2014. Um, so it's an extra, it's an excellent yearly caliber, but what are we doing for the other 11 months of the year? Yeah. So what are, what are your thoughts there? Like what, what could be done the other 11 months or nine months or whatever, however many you would need to, to stay the top of your game. I think you need to tour. Like you need to create that foundation with the team. You need to train together. You need to create those opportunities to compete together. Um, and at the end of the day, that does cost money. And we, we do have to keep being loud and we do have to keep asking because um, while we can be grateful for where women's rugby is, we're also a huge part of why. Um, and that was, um, and that's because we push. So, so some of the most successful programs um, in, in the world when it comes to rugby or just professional sport, they, they only get together for national team events. You think of the All Blacks, um, you know, as a perfect example, they have an incredible infrastructure with super rugby where they have players playing against each other, um, which is, I think, what we did and end up with NW with the National Women's League. Um, but it's, it's more than just national team. It's definitely that next year below so that I'm playing against Tyson um, often uh, to, to push each other um, and stuff like that. Sorry, Juliana, I cut you off. Uh, no, that's a great point. I was just going to say that it's important to note that um, as much as like this is a great step forward, other countries in the world are taking bigger steps forward. You know, English has gone professional now. And if we don't keep pace with them, we will be left behind. And that's the reality that even though we're going to have these fixtures on a regular basis, if our domestic programs are not strong enough to actually support our national teams, um, and if our players don't have support um, as far as, you know, being able
and challenge themselves on a daily basis, um, then we're, we're just going to see a bigger um, gap between the top teams in the world and then the next tier. You make a really interesting point because if you look at the men's program in the late 80s, early 90s, late 90s, there, were, there was no world rankings, but they were doing quite well. And when professionalism kicked in, men's team has gone, you know, clearly outside the top 10 to now they're, they're 23rd or 24th ranked in the world. And, you know, you talked about funding and things like that, but I, I think Julianne makes a really cool point about if all these other nations are turning professionalism, Canada is going to get left behind. And we're, we've seen that with the men's program. And to add on that, what we did back then was to send our guys to play overseas. So our league got less quality players and then our league at home never got to pick up and, and to become that professional league right. until the arrows came around. So if we do that with the women's side, like now that there's structures in those countries to that they can just put the women's league right beside the men's Parallel, league, it's going yeah. gonna to shoot up within yeah. a couple of years. And we need to find a way to 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 grow our own talent here. That's yeah, true. We got there's lots of talented female rugby players in Canada. It'd be nice to cultivate them here and and you know pay them accordingly for sure. That hopefully that hopefully that's something that happens soon. All right, so we're going to switch gears. We're going to go to our quiz now. So as I said before, we started recording. There are seven questions. The first five are specific to the 2014 event, and the last two are just a little bit more fun, I guess. And uh, nothing on the line here except for maybe bragging rights um but i imagine you're all going to do quite well i could i don't know maybe i'll send the winner a package of coffee. i'm sponsored by a, a local coffee place here in st john so maybe i'll send the winner like a half pound bag of beans and you know if if you all like coffee I'll julian just on. add up a little taller yeah. <laughs> you're right. on bring it on so they're multiple choice so we're, we're gonna have to kind of we're gonna have to is there, can everybody open up your chat box mm -hmm. and then just and type me the answer, just A, B, C, or D? That's not fair. Julianne types like 75 words per minute. It's not a speed. It's not just a one letter. letter. It's just <laughs> one letter. It's just one letter. <laughs> got this, Jess. All right. Question, I answer on the key. Question one. I think you all know this because Maria already said the answer. What was the score of the semifinal match over France? Was it A, 18-15? B, 17-16? C, 1816, or D, 1916? I think I misheard. <laughs> oh, yeah. I bet. Wow. I feel like I didn't hear the right score at all. <laughs> no, I thought it was 19. I thought it was 17. I thought it was 1917. Yeah, was it 1619, though? I was the closest. I'm the only one who answered. Okay, moving on. <laughs> no, Jess, it's a private chat. You can't see our answers. <laughs> I was waiting for you to, I'm like, 1816? Oh, 1816 said, is the score that I saw, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. I said 1917. Eh. You just you just screwed everybody over. Karen got it right, though. Good job, Karen. Good job, Karen. Karen's one for one. Everybody else is failing right now. <laughs> Question two. Magalie Harvey was the second highest score at the event with 61 points. Who scored the most with 70? Was it A... Kelly Brazier from New Zealand, Ashley Hewson from Australia, Emily Skerritt from England, or D, Karen Packham from Canada. Yeah, it looks like everybody got that one right. Everybody chose Karen. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> no, it was, it was Emily Skerritt. Good job. Stupid Emily. All right, question three. 
Canada had two yellow cards in the tournament. Pick one of the two players who yellowed. Was it A, Laura Russell, B, Olivia DeMerchant, C, Kayla Mack, or D, Mary Jane Kirby? I gave you both, I think. I didn't. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, remember. it was DeMerchant and uh, Kirby. When did Liv get a yellow? Yeah, I, thought... I, got, I got one of them. <laughs> that was a pure guess based on knowing right, so... personalities. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. All right. Who was the oldest player on the team? Was it A, Barbara Mervin? Oh, sure. B, Julia Sagawara? I think I, missed, I butchered her name. Oh, yeah, that was good. C, Mandy Marshak? Or uh, D, Latoya Blackwood? Get a, oh, get a couple off there. It was A, Barbara Mervin. Just by okay. a few months. Okay. All right. Who was the youngest player on the team? <laughs> a, Magalie Harvey? B, Tyson Bukaboom, C, Emily Belchos, or D, Olivia DeMerchant? Oh, B, D, C. I got my, my letter wrong. C, I can't wait to Belchos. tell Barbara that she made it into this. <laughs> it was, it's D, uh, sorry, it's C, Emily Belchos. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so those I have, when I look at these, I, th I think Karen's leading. I have, I'm going to have to double check when we're done. I well, I tried all the letters for the last questions, but I meant C. <laughs> <laughs> no, doesn't count. All right, last, but last also, was Cindy younger than Belchos? No. Oh, no. Belchos was like 12. She was like, oh. she, was she was born was, in 95. She set a oh. record for the youngest player at the World Cup ever, that tournament. Yeah. Really? She was like 19. Yeah. Yeah. On the women's side, Does yeah. she still had it? That I'm not sure about. You'll look into it. <laughs> so, <laughs> It'll be on the next quiz. That's right. <laughs> All right, two questions left. Who gets in trouble at the pub more? Karen, Maria, Tyson, Julianne, or Jessica? You can uh, shout these ones out. Jessica. 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 Wow. Jessica for sure. Any stories? Everybody. Not for the I air. don't think it's just at the pub, Jamie. Everyone? I don't think it's just at the pub. All right. All right. So this might, she might get the uh, answer for the next question too. The cops come to break up a party, a house party. Who's getting picked up by the police and who's getting away of the five of you? For sure, I'm getting away. <laughs> For sure, I'm getting away. Um, speed these days? I don't run as fast. So. Maria's getting caught. <laughs> I think Maria's trying to like bribe the cops. Yeah, I feel like I'm trying to defuse <laughs> with the police. That's where I was going. You're diffusing. We're all running. Yeah, that, that's what's happening. And trying to mediate the situation. I'm gone. <laughs> gone. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm for sure in the middle of that conflict resolution. <laughs> I think you're already asleep. All right. Yeah, Julianne doesn't make it out. <laughs> That's actually more accurate. I'm already asleep. So not at the I'm house party. Did you say house party or did you say puzzle party? <laughs> puzzle party, I'm there. Puzzle, we're all there. <laughs> Karen's there, we're all there. Yo, I'm not coming to your puzzle party. <laughs> I'll go to the bar with you. I'm going with Jason. Hey, any other questions or did I just lose? You're <laughs> getting coffee? Sweet. You came, you came a close fifth. That was good. Good. <laughs> All right. So that, that's it for the quiz. Thanks for, I'm, like I said, I'm pretty sure Karen won, but I'll, I'll, I'll double check the stats there. All right. So just a handful of questions left and, and, the, and then we can go on about our day, but. 
I, I've got a few questions left and they're all, I, I like to ask these ones they are kind of philosophical and I like to ask these ones to, to guests, but in Canada, North America, there's a stigma that rugby is often a brutally violent sport. What would you tell parents if they were concerned about letting their son or daughter play, especially if they thought it might affect their chances in, uh, in another sport, like hockey's his sport, so I don't want him to play rugby or basketball's her sport, so I don't want her to play rugby, things like that. What would you have, how would you have that conversation with those parents if, if you were presented with that opportunity? I mean, to me, the first thing is an evaluation, whether it's worth my time and energy on that specific parent, <laughs> because I, I can do a lot of the advocacy work, but if I'm against a brick wall, then um, I might walk away. Uh, the, the, the brutally violent, I think, uh, you know, somebody said to me, rugby is actually an evasion sport. Um, there's, you know, you think of pure contact sports where you can get hit. If you, if you don't have the puck or the ball, uh, rugby's not like that so much. Um, you can usually always see a hit coming, your eyes are up. Your ability to avoid contact is based on uh, your knowledge of the game. And I think uh, probably selling the community aspect of the sport um, and probably some of the success stories from, from veterans of the game is where I would start. But uh, with that initial assessment of, do I go on the parents that I can convince or do I talk to a parent that I can't? <laughs> Fair. Anybody else want to jump in there? That was that was really good, Maria. I'll do it. Being a parent, I can recognize the fear when you're watching your child do anything that you see a degree of danger in. And at the end of the day, if your child has an innate drive and love and interest in something and you stand in the way of that, like that's your funeral. Like that's, you know, like I like I think we all have a memory of like when our parents told us we couldn't do something. And I mean, most of the time, depending on the kid, like it's going to happen. Like if I tell my parents, like, I'm not, maybe I'm not going to do it when I'm seven, but then I'll just do it when I'm 19. So, I mean, I think it's best to get behind your child and what they want to do and what they are excited about. Like I'm trying to make them not like hockey because it's so expensive, but at the end of the day, when they want skates, I'm going to get those skates. <laughs> How old are your kids? Two and four. Who else has kids? I know Maria, you do, right? Okay. Julianne, you basically have kids. You take care of mine, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what about you, Julianne? What would you say? I, I, to speak to your second point, which was about you know them not wanting, not wanting their kid to to play to play rugby because they're playing another sport, and that might, I don't know, get in the way of, or they might get injured or something. Um, like, rugby is such an incredible combination of skills and tactical technical awareness um that it's it's going to make you better at other sports um you know like that ability to read space on a rugby field when you're anticipating getting hit there's not there's not a lot of things that can replicate that kind of pressure um and so there's a ton of transferable skills and i, I also think that what you learn in rugby is when you get knocked down you have to get back up and so like who doesn't want to teach their kid that lesson in life soccer parents just kidding. <laughs> no, that's fair. <laughs> All right. Uh, Karen, what makes rugby different from other sports? In my mind, it's just the fact that everybody can play. It doesn't matter what you look like, who you are, what your strengths are. It's just you, you, you have a spot on the field unless you, you, you don't want to do it, which is different. But like whatever your strength is, you can play. And I think that's, that's where it's different because 
really on the on the game we're all a bunch of like misfits and weirdos and and we just find a way to make it work and i think it's it's just a beautiful sport in itself because of that that's good i like that tyson what about you what you know, you played highly competitive hockey and, and you kind of, you know, you, you've went the way of rugby at the end. What makes rugby, what was more drawing for rugby for you as opposed to hockey at the end of the day? I think it's just the type of teamwork that you see in rugby. Um, coming from hockey, there's a lot of dependence on a coach or someone to kind of uh, tell you how to do something. Or if something goes wrong, you have a moment to figure out what you did wrong and you have someone in charge of you to tell you what that was and what they're expecting from you. Whereas in rugby, you're on the field for 80 minutes by yourself. You have to come together as a team. You have to figure it out or you bust. Um, and you have to be able to work together with 15 people at a time to figure out what the problem is, how you're going to fix it. And just being able to come together with that amount of people um, and that amount of personalities and being able to figure it out and be able to work through something that seems so hard in that moment, um, I think is pretty incredible. And you build such awesome bonds in that environment um, that kind of go with you for the rest of your life. Um, and it builds a lot of character because you don't get to hide behind anyone. There's one or two people in a certain position and that position has a job. And if you don't do your job, your team's gonna look to you and be like, hey, you need to step it up. So just pulling people out of their comfort zones, working together as a team and just building something special is what I really enjoy about rugby. Julianne, when did you fall in love with rugby? I was 14. I was at a high school practice, Ashbury College. I threw a dummy someone did it and I broke through the line and I thought this is the greatest sport of all kind all time I love the fact that you remember so specifically what was going on that's awesome what about you uh 2001 San Anne de Bellevue um was my first year playing club rugby so I was 18 I think um and I had uh Jose Lacoste who got inducted into the hall of fame at the same time as us was my very first coach um but it was uh in the shed Margaret Legault we were talking about like the whole team had a meeting and somebody said like you guys need to be more like Maria who just like comes in and shows up and plays and I was like yeah she likes me I'm in uh-huh <laughs> and uh yeah that was it Karen what about you I loved rugby from the get-go but it was my second sport um I was playing volleyball and I was not good enough at volleyball to keep going because I kept going until university and then university, I just, I would have never made the team. So I went towards rugby a little bit more. I remember loving the game and I played in like so many teams, but yeah, in my case, like, I don't know, there, there's a time where I had to decide, am I going to walk away from the sport or am I actually going to like spend my life not playing that sport? And the answer was just absolutely not. You need to get back into it and you need to uh, go back on the field and, and make it work. So that's kind of the moment where I realized that like the importance that it had for me, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. What about you, Tyson? Uh, the moment that hooked me was in my very first game. It was a high school game um, and I was playing eight man and I went to probably five practices before that had no sweet clue what I was doing. Nothing made sense. Everything was backwards compared to what I'd played done in like hockey or any other sport. And I was playing eight man. I came the other team, eight man she picked 
And I was like, oh, this is my moment. It was the first tackle I've ever made in my life. I came around, I checked her, what I knew as a check, which was from hockey. So I just had my arms up and I yard sailed her. She went flying and the ref blew the whistle and was like, get back down. And I was like, I was told I was allowed to hit people. This is why I'm here. <laughs> I was just like, you have to, you have to rap. And I was like, got it. Okay, I'm good. Now I can do this. <laughs> and that moment, I was like, that was fun. That's awesome. The fact that the ref actually took a, took a moment to explain it to you was probably quite helpful as well, right? Oh, for sure. I hadn't been taught how to tackle. I was just told I was allowed to. <laughs> what about you, Jessica? For me, it was in high school. And I remember showing up to my first practice and a group of girls saying like oh like I don't think you should be here and then getting to straight arm one of those girls just felt <laughs> so good yeah. and it wasn't even specifically that moment it was after my first game like the feeling I don't remember who won I don't remember if I played well but just the feeling after a rugby game was so like everything it felt like everything I'd ever needed to feel as a 15 year old girl and yeah so that's what I that's what I try and tell parents when they're like, I don't know if I'm going to let my kid play. So that girl that you straight armed in practice, is she still playing? Well, I don't think so. I do follow her on Instagram. <laughs> I don't think she's still playing. Safely, right? You're not like stalking her or anything, right? No, I'm stalking her. I'm kidding. Did she follow back? <laughs> stalking a few people. No, we ended up being great friends, but I, that just wasn't my uh, my brand in uh, my first couple years at high school. And people were kind of like, well, what are you doing here? And yeah, something in me was like, no, I, I belong here and I'm glad I stayed. Awesome. Uh, those are five great stories. I love I loved hearing that. It makes me smile. Julianne, what are you doing now? Like not right now, but uh, like, what are you doing for life right now? <laughs> I'm on a podcast with you, Jamie. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I blacked out for a second there. <laughs> uh, no, I have uh, in my rugby life, I've stepped over into the dark side. I'm now refereeing. Jessica. Maureen. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm preparing uh, to referee sevens at the Olympic Games this summer. Awesome. And um, we'll continue with the refereeing journey wherever it takes me. Um, yeah, just really enjoying the, the new challenge of that and being able to give back the game in a new way and, and to actually be front and center um, in, in games and in, m most importantly to me, uh, like young high school games where you're watching young girls fall in love with the game. That's awesome. Maria, what about you? What are you doing now? Uh, so rugby-wise, I sit on the Rugby Canada board hot off the press got appointed as the uh, rugby Canada vice chair today so we have beautiful congratulations female, thank you so we have a, a female chair in Sandy, Sally Dennis and a, a female vice chair um, which is pretty exciting and I think really reflective of the progression that women's rugby has made in the country so I'm trying to do as much work as I can at the board level uh, and then also involved in the community came here in Calgary with the Calgary Saints and I head coach the uh, Mount Royal Men's Rugby University team um, and involved with the, the university uh, men's game uh, across the country on the on the board there. So there were a lot of different rugby hats, um, but I love getting involved at that level 
and then obviously a, a parent to two wonderful children um, <laughs> who I can hear in the background right now. Um, so it's yeah. lots of fun, a two-year-old and a six-month-old. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, it's, uh, I, I hear a lot of great things about Sally's and having you on board is, uh, I think it's going to be great things for Rugby Canada. Jessica, what about you? What are you doing now? I work for Lululemon. I parent two children and I have stepped down from coaching CW Rugby Club, but am coaching at University of Victoria with Brittany Waters, who also played with us in the uh, 2014 World Cup. Awesome. Great. Uh, great for that team to have you two as coaches. And uh, how do I how do I get a Lululemon jacket? You call me. You can text me. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> Karen, what are you up to right now? I am still training. Um, I'm training towards the Olympic Games this summer. Um, I'm going to try really, really hard to make sure that Julianne is not allowed to ref the final. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My money's on you, Karen. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm working really hard for that. (laughs) And uh, I plan to uh, keep playing for next year in order to play and get selected for uh, the World Cup for the 15s World Cup. Uh, my plans for next year are to get to find a team that's going to have me to play over the winter. And after that, I do plan to uh, plan to re- retire from rugby and probably get into coaching a little bit back in Quebec. Excellent. Tyson, what about you? Um, we have a great little training group out here. Also, um, coached by some alum from the 2014 World Cup, uh, Kelly Russell, Barbara Mervin, and Brittany Waters, um, which is awesome that we have the opportunity to do that. Um, and then my job, I am a support care worker for neurodivergent children who have challenging behaviors. And I might be getting a job as a bus driver, just because. Okay. It sounds like you've got. It sounds like you all have a lot on your plate. It's uh, it's it's great to see. And it's great to hear. Lastly, if you could sum up in thirty seconds what that 2014 event meant to you individually, what would you say? Let's start with who looks the most. Jessica, you, you're the only one looking at the camera, so I'm going to go with Jessica here. I think that that was um, the year I retired. Um, so I learned a lot about my own personal strength as an athlete and as a human and the effect I can have on others. I got to learn from so many amazing women and just being, I learned that I wanted to be surrounded by powerful women all the time. So yeah, I, that was not super eloquent, but that's, that's my sum up of 2014. No, I think that was, I think that was very elegant. Uh, Julianne, how about you? 2014 for me, um, was about being part of something greater than yourself that that team and what we did was bigger than any of us and there was something really powerful something exponentially powerful about that group of people coming together and how much better we made each other and so um yeah completely completely solidified my whole philosophy about rugby and uh, what the sport's capable of that's great i like that too tyson what about you 2014 was um, about setting a standard for not just Canadian women's rugby, but Canadian rugby in general. Um, And it's something that I've continued to strive for, for our team um, since. And it was just a really exciting moment. Awesome. Karen, how about you? 
it's really hard to go after those two, right? Three. I think for me, 2014, I see it as like, it became the pillar of the foundation of my rugby. It was really early in my rugby career. And there's so many things that I've learned about how a team should, should act together. Um, I learned about myself. I learned from other people of, about what I wanted to be as a human and, and as a player. So for me, it was the foundation for, for um, what, what came after. Um, and like I said, it's, it's something that I will cherish, cher cherish forever because it's, it was such a special journey and I'm just really, really thankful that I was part of it. That's awesome too. And Maria. I think for me personally, the storyline of 2014 um, not only gave our group legitimacy, but me personally for some of the, the things that I wanted to do in terms of staying involved with the game at community university and, and the national level from an administrative or coach perspective. And I realized that I'm in such a privileged position having played on the national team now being part of a team that's in the hall of fame. And I feel like there's a duty now of um, representing that appropriately, but also making sure that there's opportunities in rugby for individuals who have not had that opportunity. And I've been, my eyes have been opened up to administrators and coaches who never took an elite path, never played elite rugby. And they're probably a better coach and a better administrator than I am. And I think with the position that I'm in now, I need to make sure that those doors are open for those individuals. And that that 2014 was really the, the jumping board that I needed to to then have a voice for perhaps those who didn't get that opportunity. Being a good ancestor for the game. I like that too. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Uh, listen, uh, this was amazing. Uh, I, I've had goosebumps talking to the five of you, just reminiscing and listening to your stories and how that team meant so much to you and how much rugby has meant to all of you. It's, it's been, it's been great. And I think, uh, you know, everybody that listens here in Canada and in, around the world, I have listeners in Japan. I've ranked number one in Japan for some reason. I, I don't understand that one, but the pod gets a lot of traction throughout. So I think a lot of people are going to love hearing these stories and listening to what you all went through and what you've done for Canadian rugby. Thank you very much. It, listen, everybody, best of luck uh, in your future endeavors at the Olympics, at the World Cup next year with Rugby Canada, with Lululemon and your children. And <laughs> life. Uh, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, just wish you all the best of luck in the future with whatever you guys, uh, whatever you girls all have in store for that's coming up for you, okay? All right, that was, that was a lot of fun, a lot of great stories, man. I laughed and just enjoyed being on that pod with those, with those women and, and just still hearing the excitement in their voice. That was, that was really special. Thank you very much. Uh, coming soon, we have Andrea Burke. Andrea and I are going to be chatting this weekend, and her pod will be up next weekend. Dr. Summer Christie and I are still looking at a uh, potential date. Tom Woods and Alicia Lair, same thing. All right, so we're going to sign off now, and I just want everybody to remember that uh, COVID is, you know, we're, we're starting to kick its butt, and it's, it's getting better. I know some people are still sick, people are still dying, but we are doing better. We are making inroads. There's talk here that the Atlantic bubble in Canada is going to be opening up uh, in June. Um, I've heard rumors that the border with the U.S. is going to open up uh, soon as well, so 
we're, we're getting there. It's been a long process, but we are getting there. Thanks. For, so thanks to everybody that's listening. Again, after you're done listening to this pod, make sure that you share this message out so other people can hear it as well. Need to say thanks to my son, Rylan, for supplying us with their tunes. Uh, it's pretty awesome that he wanted to help me out with this. And as always, feel free to request topics for future podcasts, whether it's questions, whether it's players, whether it's personnel, what have you. So until next time, this is Jamie. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay sane, and most importantly, keep on rocking. <laughs>